is it? Clean Comedy Time Podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guest is Jeff Jenna. Jeff Jenna is a clean comedian who's been performing comedy for over 40 years at over a thousand venues. He's been a TV star and has a new Drive R special. We're going to talk with him about the good, the bad, and the funny. Number one thing on my son's Christmas list cell phone. Cell phone! I looked at him, I said, you're nine years old. Who are you going to call? He goes, oh, dad. (laughs) I'm not going to call anyone. I'm going to (laughs) text. Have you seen these packs of kids at the mall or at church or at school? They're texting, you know. They're running into babies and old ladies. They're knocking over strollers because they got the face in the phone. We're texting. We're texting. And do you know who they are texting? Another kid that is nine feet away. <laughs> or anybody who's been uh, riding in a car with me like Jeff has recently, he knows how I run over the old ladies. Jeff, it is so <laughs> great to have you on the show. Yeah, Jeff, we are certainly looking forward to chatting with you today. Thanks for being here. Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure. I like any gig where I can be at my house in my pajamas <laughs> and, and do it. These are fantastic. This is why... During the COVID, I love the Zoom things. A lot of people, oh, these Zoom shows, they're horrible. I hate doing them. I go, I'm not even putting on pants. Right. (laughs) And I'm getting paid. Yeah. These are great. I am so glad uh, you and I had a a pleasure of of meeting you over the summer, and I got to work with you uh, just a couple of weeks ago at Kyle Yamada's new Gutties, Minnesota. And um, Brian, did did Jeff wear pants for that show? And, and that's what I was leading to is um, <laughs> you did wear pants for your performances. That and when we you and I were hanging out the rest of the weekend, so I, I did. I, I I put on pants as a sign of respect to you, Brian. That is so uh, kind. You know, I appreciate. And that's it. How you know, like if I show up someday. And I'm not wearing pants. It means I've lost my respect for you. So okay, I'm gonna <laughs> all right, work on that. <laughs> I will uh, also remind my wife of that. Is uh, when I am running around. Actually, with... you know what's funny is I, uh, <laughs> my wife Carrie. Like yeah. whenever I'm away from home, and I'll call her uh, in the evening or after a gig or whatever, and she'll go, "What are you doing?" I I actually say this. I go, "I got the pants off," and she knows that <laughs> once I take the pants off. I'm not going back out. Right. <laughs> They're uh, not going back on until the next morning. So right. I'm in my hotel room until the next day. Awesome. Once the pants are off, I'm yeah. done. <laughs> well, uh, Jeff, I again, what a pleasure it was to uh, to get to know you um, recently. And uh, one of the questions that I wanted to kind of hold off on, because I talked to you pretty quickly about, I'm going to have you on the podcast. You were very kind to agree. I I wanted to make sure I had a fresh answer and I didn't know the answer to this one. Um, this is what we always ask our comics is, so how did you get started? But more importantly, because you've been doing it for so long, why? Why did you get started doing comedy? <laughs> Boy, I tell you, the why question is almost the, the more important question rather than the how. Because sometimes I look back at my life and I wonder if I didn't make a bad decision. <laughs> Before I did this, I was a school teacher and I, I had a 
few years of teaching in before I started doing this. I didn't start till I was 27, 26, 27. And uh, if you do the math, you'll figure out that I'm almost 70 now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I looked at my friends who were teachers, and I still know some of them then, and they've been retired for 15 years <laughs> on a full salary pension with benefits. Oh, yeah. Me, I'm working with Brian Adkinson. <laughs> yeah, so you got that going for you. But uh, <laughs> so sometimes you wonder if maybe you made the right decision. But then again, it's like for the past, I, I quit my last real job in 1980. Mm-hmm. So full time without a safety net for 41 years almost 42 years now. And it's like every day of my life I have done for better or worse. (laughs) I was for worse. Mm -hmm. uh, I have done what I wanted to do every day. You know, being in this job that we do, it's society makes, whether they know it or not, uh, has made a decision for us, and they they give us a trade off. They say we are going to allow you a lot of freedom in your life because you can do something that most of us can't do. And what we don't realize when we first start doing it, we're we're very cool with the freedom, but what we don't realize is that society then also gives us great responsibilities, mm-hmm. uh, and. A lot of times performing artists don't realize that with the freedom society gives them come a lot of responsibilities too. And it wasn't until it's been a few years now. It wasn't until about 30 years ago that I realized that I had better start being more responsible. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and folks, move the focus over toward the responsible side from the freedom <laughs> side. That's maybe what you should do. So Okay. Oh, so anyway, I never did answer when I started. <laughs> or, yeah. So I was living in Houston, Texas and teaching school in the Houston public school system, which in 1978 was a horrible dumpster fire oh, dear. of a school system. And I'm sure... It's not any better today. Yeah. What subject uh, were you teaching? Or was- I, well, I taught uh, at the when I was in Houston. I was teaching sixth grade, and uh, in the school I was in in Houston, I was teaching kind of everything sure. as it was back then. It wasn't at that grade level. It was there weren't kind of. I think in most middle schools today, you'd find that teachers are more specialized. They teach a subject rather yeah. than general education. Yeah. My sixth grade teacher taught, you know, school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all yeah, the things. Yeah. yeah. And when I was teaching, people would ask me what I teach. And I used to say kids. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's what I taught. Yeah. Um, so year olds. Uh, the Houston schools were at that time a dumpster fire and they, I'm sure it hasn't gotten any better. And <laughs> I was, uh, I was not happy. Uh, there were I, for a lot of personal things going on in my life. And, um, one, one day I was sitting at my apartment and I had the Houston Chronicle, which is a newspaper. Uh, maybe later we'll explain to the younger listeners what a newspaper <laughs> is. <laughs> it was like the internet 
only it came to your house. And when you were done with it, you threw it away. Uh, but I saw an ad in the newspaper for the Comics Annex in Houston, Texas. It was actually the Comedy Workshop at the time. And they were giving classes in improv comedy. And I had always wanted to be a comedian. That's mm. just, I grew up in a small town in Kentucky. Nobody ever explained that that was a possibility. Right. So I uh, called the number in the ad and they said, you know, we're going to start this Monday night at six o'clock. You want to come down to this place on San Felipe Avenue? And I went down there and it was a life-changing experience. I started working it with it in improv, and there was an improv troupe there. And then the guy who owned the Comics Annex, a guy named Paul Menzel, he one day took the next little building over, which we became the 90-seat Comics Annex. And he said, we're opening a stand-up comedy club next door. Do any of you guys want to do stand-up? And I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I do. You bet I do. And... I was so horrible <laughs> the first time on stage. I have no idea what made me go back for a second dose of punishment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that if you talk to a lot of comedians, their story is the same. Yeah. They just, they're, you know, it's very rare that somebody is anywhere near good the first time they go up. For sure. And it was it was uh, it was an amazing time in comedy too. The comedy boom had not the big comedy boom of the eighties had not taken off yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the club, we worked seven nights a week. Was open mic, and it was a ninety seat room. And pretty much every night, all ninety seats were filled. And mm -hmm. other guys starting there at the time were Sam Kennison, Bill Hicks. Uh, uh, Dwight Slade, Riley Barber, Steve Epstein, Fred Greenlee. Uh, it was an amazing Carl LeBeau who recently passed away. May he rest in peace. Mm. Uh, it was an amazing cast of crazy characters. Uh, it was also uh, drug and alcohol fueled because, <laughs> hey, it was the late 70s. Yeah. Uh, That's what there was. was. <laughs> just it was just nuts, mm. but it was an incredibly creative period in my life, and I have many regrets, uh, but many great memories of those times. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, so that's how I got started. I started working in Houston in '78, and I kind of just did open mics for about two years. I took my last teaching job the next year in 79 in a completely different environment in a very posh private prep school on the north side of Detroit. Oh, my. And uh, moved there and um, thought, well, that comedy thing was really fun, but <laughs> that's over because now I'm back to a sure. real teaching job. Yeah. And after about being in Detroit about a month, I found Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. There it is. And started going to open mics and getting some paid work with Mark. And within a year, I was – tons of clubs were opening around the country. I was getting offers to work. Uh, and 
I thought, well, I'll take a year off of teaching, see how it goes, live that kind of artist, bohemian life for a year, and then I'll write a book about it and get another teaching job somewhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I have neither gotten another teaching job nor have I written a book yet. So, <laughs> Well, there's still time. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> boy, boy, that's really cool to hear you uh, talk about the role that Mark Ridley and the Comedy Castle played. Uh, so that was pretty cool coming up through that, huh? Yeah, I, I knew Mark well uh, back in the day. Uh, a very well-known comedian from Detroit named Tim Allen <laughs> had just gotten out of prison when mm -hmm. I moved there. And Tim and I became friends for a while. Um, and I don't talk to Tim anymore, but he's... Still, I'm not going to I'm not going to say bad things about him because we were good friends for a, a while there. And mm -hmm. then, you know, life moves on. Life changes. Yeah. So. Uh, well, I know I know Mark is still very, very involved with the with the comedy scene. I know he's somebody who who really takes pride and joy in, in finding comedians and, and giving them the opportunities. I know when they have an open mic at at the Comedy Castle, he watches every bit of it. Yeah. You know, he watches every single comic yeah. set. And, uh, and I mean, that's, that's certainly not something that he has to do at this uh, stage of the game. No. And uh, I think he's there less than he used to be. I mean, I've often said that the best, the absolute best clubs in the country are the clubs where the guy who makes his living and has his money invested in the club is there all the time. And that would have been Ridley's for, you know, when he, he was, it was a one-off club, the same with the comedy magic club on Hermosa beach and a, a number of other clubs around the country. Uh, but not, I'm, I'm not ruling out the chain clubs either. Like for example, the funny bone in Columbus, Ohio, where Dave Stroop is there all the time. And he is the managing partner. He's got his money in the club, even though it's a funny bone. And it's one of the best and best run, run clubs in the country. The same with the Irvine Improv that is owned by the improv chain. But Robert Hartman is the principal owner of that club. And Robert is there not so much anymore. He's not there all the time. But when I was there at the club, he was there a lot and just always checking on the quality, what's going on, what's happening in the room. And those are the best-run clubs in the country. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. So uh, just one quick follow-up question. Uh, the, the posh suburb on the north side of Detroit, uh, I know that you know Mark Ridley's is in Royal Oak, which is not that posh, but uh, where, where were you teaching last? Uh, in Bloomfield Hills. Bloomfield Hills. Now, yeah, that's, that is posh. Uh, that's pretty posh. That's posh for sure. <laughs> Yep. And then I actually moved to Royal Oak uh, after I left the school. Yeah. I actually, when I was at the school, I was living on the school campus ground. Mm. And uh, when I left my teaching position, I had to actually start paying for an apartment again. And mm -hmm. I, I moved to, I lived in Royal Oak, but mm -hmm. Ridley's at the time was not in Royal Oak. Uh, Ridley's was up on Woodward in a restaurant called Maximilian's was up like just South of Birmingham. Oh, okay. Huh. I like Woodward in 13 yeah. or 14, like up in that area. All right. You know? Well, back in the late eighties, I lived in Royal Oak right behind the post office. Uh, so I was yeah. right oh, there. I, I know exactly where you lived. I yeah. lived over on fifth street in uh -huh, Royal Oak uh -huh. there you go. between See. like the downtown area and the highway. We we're neighbors at completely different times. 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, with all of this experience, uh, I'm going to fast forward now a little bit in your life um, to a uh, family. And um, I, you're married. You have uh, your son, Miles. Um, right. Yeah. So, and I'll do a, I'll do a bad joke for my act, Miles. He's in <laughs> Canada, then he's kilometers. Boom. Hey. <laughs> very much i'll be here all week i love <laughs> love love that uh that joke that, that's an absolute favorite uh, and it's sad that i thought of that joke before my son was born and that's why he got named my <laughs> now we're talking <laughs> that, that is not, commitment there. that's yeah. not true actually that's not true <laughs> uh, i'm i'm both sad and relieved <laughs> um so you're you're performing comedy um you're you're you working in the Detroit area, and then you know you kind of get your last job in, and then uh, we're gonna move forward. Um, you're out in Los Angeles. You're on some TV shows. Uh, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, married, yeah. You, and you so skipped right over the five years in Chicago, but that's okay. Oh. They weren't. <laughs> well, I'll cover Chicago later. Then all right, that, that's not doesn't matter. I'm just yeah. teasing. So that brings us to, of course, you know, once you've got a family, you've got to have a. A birthday party for for the little kid. We spent one thousand eight hundred dollars on a birthday party for a one year old. See, I, I thought my idea was much better. This is my idea. I said we take him to the county fair, put him on a pony, have his picture taken. I take the picture home. I throw it into a drawer, and I wait. <laughs> I wait five, eight. 15 years from now, he will find that picture and he will come to me, his father, and he'll go, Daddy, what was this? I said, Son, that was your first birthday when I bought you a pony. We used to ride him all around the neighborhood. Then one day I had to go out of town. Your mom didn't take care of me and he died. <laughs> You just threw her under the bus. Yeah, you know, that's she's used to it. <laughs> I'm sure. Now, just on the personal side, how how did you meet your wife and and how did comedy did comedy play a role in that? And what happened? I think uh for ninety-eight percent of all comedians, they meet their wives at a show. Hmm. I think that's true. Hmm. Uh, and uh, that's uh, exactly how I met my wife. I was working at uh, Hilarities in Cleveland, Ohio, and she and her three sisters and their husbands all came to see a show. They sat in the very front row. Mistake. Yeah. And, I mean, how uh, fortunate for you that that's where they sit. And uh, the rest, as they say, is comedy history. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember any of the things because I've seen you work and you interact with the audience just beautifully? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, crowd work isn't enough to describe what you do. Uh, so I'm just going to tell a quick story to to our listeners and to Aaron and stuff. Um, Jeff and I just yeah, would you do me a favor? Just yeah. uh, kind of wake me up when you're done with this. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll 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 give you a little knock there. That'd, right. be, perfect. That'd be perfect. But yeah, so Jeff and I were working at uh, at the the um gutties in minneapolis a couple of weeks ago and um as we he was working along through his set uh some 
20 uh, something guys came by were wondering what's this and the guy working the front door is like oh it's a comedy club the headliners into his set but you just come right on in and they sat down in the back and you um just had a, a comedy buffet uh from them you worked through each one of them talked to each one of them found their name found out what do they do for a living did they go to college did how did they all the things um right. And you didn't really pick on them. You just invited them into the show and everybody had such a great time. That's why I, I don't want to call it crowd work because most crowd work tends to be insult comic stuff. And that's not what you were doing. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. You know, I, 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 in fact, I often describe stand-up. People say, oh, it's a monology. You know, you're a monologist. I say, no, I'm a conversationalist. Mm -hmm. To me, a really good stand-up comedy act is not a monologue, but it's a dialogue with the yeah. audience. It's just that usually the audience's part of the dialogue is to just laugh at what you've said. <laughs> yeah, that's so. the conversation my wife and I have all the time. <laughs> um but uh, but in this case, the, the audience members, they had their little bits of input and you ran with it. Yeah, there. And it's it's part of that is improv training, too, because what I try to do rather than just what what I'll call punchline the situation, which is uh, what are you a lawyer? Oh, that must be rewarding. Uh, what do you sue people or whatever? Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, uh, but you try to pull out some kind of personal information. And at some point I'm going to circle back and try to tie together the different people who I've talked to. Mm -hmm. And it's really just an improv game where you do that. You know, the, it's kind of yes and, yes and, yes and. But people are amazed by it, mm -hmm. <laughs> which to me is stunning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like when you go to see a magician and he links the rings together and people go, ah, and you go, really? You, you don't know how he's doing that? <laughs> you know, so uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it was... Uh... An absolute pleasure to see it done that well. Well, thank um, you very much. You're very, yeah. you're very kind. I you're try. Man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you, you met your wife. Uh, she was in the front row of the show, and so you engaged with her and later on. And at the time, my yeah. wife was a golf professional. She was running a big private club near Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And she made the sad, sad mistake mm. of letting me know that. Because you're a huge golf fan. I love player. golf. love yeah. playing golf. And so she invited me or I invited myself, depending on who you're talking to. Sure. To, uh, to play some golf at her club. So, uh, you know, that is how it was. So, the next thing you knew. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and and your lives together have uh, really uh, taken a, a variety of different terms. Uh, I know that at one point um, you actually uh, moved back home. Listen to this: live at home as long as you possibly can. You got that? You suck every nickel possible out of your parents. <laughs> Don't 
be in a hurry to get some dump of your own to live in. I lived at home till I was 27 because I was trying to find myself. And then one day, boom, I found myself out in the front yard with all my stuff. <laughs> I'm home. My daddy moved all my stuff out onto the yard. I'm going, but daddy, this ain't fair. I'm still trying to find myself. It's like, well, son, you've been looking here for 27 years. Apparently you are somewhere else. Now go look there, son. Maybe when you find yourself, you can pick up a job nearby. That'd be good. It's almost like you and I had the same father. So, so, yeah, I appreciate the advice that you give to the young people in the audiences as you do that bit. But um, but it goes so much deeper than that after. And I wanted you to actually talk about that is uh, uh, about twice as much time passed later. And you find yourself um, and your wife moving back in with your parents. It's true. Uh, we moved, you know, it, uh, I love, I love living in California, uh, for all its faults and all its crowds and things like that. Uh, but, uh, it gets to a point where you're at a certain age and I was about 53 or 54, somewhere in there. And, uh, you're going, still going to auditions, and you notice you are by far the oldest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. And you look around the room, and you go, oh, I've seen that guy on TV. I've seen that guy in the show. Oh, that guy was in a big movie. And you realize that you are not only the oldest guy in the room, but you're the least well-known guy in the room. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you're 55 going for the role of a grandpa, and the guy sitting across from you is 45. And he's going to be the grandpa. So uh, it just gets to the point where you realize the movie and TV industry really isn't looking for you anymore. And my wife had sacrificed a great deal uh, to live out there. She really wasn't crazy about it. Our son was getting to the age where he was starting school and really didn't want him to be in a public school in California and private school where we lived was really out of the question. Mm. Like uh, we're talking, you know, 14, well, $15,000 yeah. a year for first college grade. tuition for. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided that we would move back home. And also, you know, it's always, a, it's never, I find it a single event. Uh, and also my mother was sick and, my son really didn't know his grandmother at all because of where we lived. Yeah. So we just decided we would sell our house in Orange County, California and move back here. And I've never regretted that. Mm. Hmm. And I circle us back now to you had the freedom to be able to do that. And then in doing that freedom, it allowed you to live out the responsibility of right. being a husband and a father and a son. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's absolutely tremendous. Um, I also had taken a job for five years when my son was first born uh, as the host of the Irvine Improv, which uh, 
is not what they call a career move. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to come home someday when my son was five or six years old and I walk into the house and he doesn't know who I am. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's that guy, he's back. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and as the host of the improv, you, you'd work, you know, you know, comedy hours, but you weren't on the road. Is that, and, and it wasn't really comedy hours except on the weekend, change 30 or 10, you know, and I lived 20 minutes from the club. So I was home by, you know, 11 o'clock. It was really like having a second shift job. You know, I'd leave around four or five home by 11. So, you know, it was nice. And I was home every day, you know, every morning I got up and with my son and, and, you know, maybe not a career move, but that that's the move of, uh, of taking care of, uh, taking care of your family. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well done. Like I said, I've never regretted that. Mm -hmm. I've never looked back. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned in Los Angeles, you know, going on auditions and TV and things like that. Uh, I know that uh, you're in some some shows. Uh, I, I know Murder, She Wrote comes to mind. I did a Murder, She Wrote back in the early 90s. And mm-hmm. I did a Hunter and yep. I did about 800 what were known in the business as brick wall shows. Which yeah, is for bad. sure. Like comedy on TV, you know, you're standing in front of a brick wall talking and they're just they change the logo in the back of you yep. and it's a whole new show. <laughs> <laughs> and those are now coming back around to the streaming services. Uh, you you got to yeah. dig for them a little bit, but I they're, understand they're... that the, all the old evening at the improvs are yep. on Amazon, I think. And if you really look around, I'm sure you could find, you know, yep. uh, the NBC shows I did and other shows, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. And then uh, uh, similar but different. Now you've got a dry bar special that people can enjoy either through dry yeah. bar or, or on YouTube. You know, I, I don't know how many people ever saw me on television. Hmm. I, I have no idea. But I know exactly how many people have watched my dry <laughs> bar special. For sure. Because the internet has a counter on there. Yeah. And it counts them up. And I'm far, far from the all-time champion but it's amazing when you look like between the three clips of my dry bar they put up my dry bar special on youtube my dry bar special on uh facebook Mm -hmm. uh i think the total is about seven million views that's crazy yeah so like that just stuns me as a number that Mm -hmm. seven million people have watched at least part of my show on the internet. Yeah. And when I think about, you know, uh, 40 years in comedy, I'm working maybe 200 shows a year average. So what is that? Uh, 80,000 shows. And if there were 300 people at each show, that means live, I've performed to less than a million people in my career. But on the internet, in the last two years, seven million people have seen me. Boom! And it just it just <laughs> stuns me. Mm-hmm. But I'm still completely unknown. And <laughs> and I, I say that in not a bitter way at all, because mm. I, and I, you know, uh, there's a country song: you don't always get what you want, you get what you need. 
You know, yeah. I prayed for strength and I got pain that made me strong. Well, uh, you know, I used to pray for fame and fortune and I never got quite as much of that as I wanted, although I've been very blessed in terms of always making a living, always paying the bills, uh, you know, but when I look at my life, I, I wonder if, uh, as he usually does, God knew more than I did in the way he guided me. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in the 80s uh, until 1990, if I would have come into a large amount of money and fame, I'm pretty sure I'd be dead. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't know how it would have changed me to get all that fame and all that money. Mm -hmm. And I know how I have a few friends who have become very famous and I'm not going to name drop them because, you know, you should never be a name dropper. Brian, do you know who taught me that? Yeah. Bobby De Niro. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, it's so important. Bobby De Niro taught me that. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> I can only do that joke with comics and I love it so much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I have a, a number of friends who have made unbelievable amounts of money and are very famous. And they're not, for the most part, happy. Yeah. They're not content. Yeah. So I, I don't know. You know, it works out like it works well, out. It, sound, it sounds like you've been good and patient and now you're, you're ready for some of that clean comedy time money. So oh. big, big break <laughs> oh, in this it, podcast. You know, there's, there's some, well, you know, when the money starts rolling in, I'm sure that people, after they hear me on this podcast, all 12 of your listeners yep. will <laughs> go over to YouTube, search my name, Jeff Jenna, just mm -hmm. eight letters yeah. and add to my total. For sure. <laughs> yeah. It'd be seven million and twelve any minute now. And, be, and, and by the way, we we have twelve listeners just in Fiji alone. Right? So. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> you know what's amazing? My son's a musician, and and he's got his music. They have their band's music up on Spotify and Apple Music and that, and they get really detailed demographic reports. And it's like, wow, you had uh, eight hundred streams in Istanbul this week. Yeah, it's like what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and our, no, I, our, I know, I, and I say that kind of jokingly, but yeah, we we were the number one stand up comedy podcast in Fiji a little little while back, and man. a couple of times, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, so I, so again, two our I mean, GN and, listeners, and thank you, and that's amazing too, because I mean, that's the thing about the internet It's like you don't know who's listening to this. Yeah, I mean, it's and just, the best part is if you don't know where Fiji is, you can look it up on the internet. Exactly. <laughs> right. I posted a thing the other day that my sister had put up that said, uh, uh, if you met somebody from the 1950s mm. and you told them that in your pocket you had a device that could access the entire wealth of human knowledge at any instant, what would they be most stunned by? And the answer, of course, is the fact that you use it to post pictures of cats and argue with strangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or picture. Yeah. I posted a picture of my cat yesterday. So yeah, there you go. totally right there. Uh, <laughs> so, um, get us back more on, on some more comedy. Uh, 
you have made your way to Los Angeles. You've been in some TV. You didn't get to the point of fame and fortune where uh, people were stopping you on the street, or did you have some taste of that? Where people like I, I, I did have a you. taste of that. I did have a taste of that. Uh, I was up in Hollywood, uh, and at the time, gosh, this would have been in the early nineties. You know, I was wearing my hair kind of long and pulled back and had a goatee. And I was on that particular day, I was wearing a ball cap and sunglasses. And I was with a friend of mine and we're walking down the street up in Hollywood. And a guy like a young dude goes, hey, man, you're that comedy dude. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> I start talking to him and it becomes apparent after about 40 seconds that this kid thinks I am George Carlin. <laughs> and i'm just about to burst his bubble when i realize that he is reaching in his pocket to get out a pen and ask me for an autograph <laughs> Ooh. so i did the only thing i could do yeah i signed george carlin's name what choice did you have I didn't want to disappoint the young <laughs> no, man. It would have been oh, irresponsible I not think to so. do anything different. Yeah. But I and I keep watching Pawn Stars because someday he's gonna walk in. <laughs> hey, I got this autograph from George yeah. Garland. Uh, yeah, that's, th this that's is another it. one of those Jeff Jenna autographs. That's not real. <laughs> yeah. This is um, it's a Jeff Jenna forgery. I yeah. have. It's mm -hmm. like weird. I, it doesn't happen often, but I have been recognized a few times. And one time in particular sticks out one summer, my sister and her kids, uh, my wife and Miles and I and my brother, John, and I'm one of eight kids. So I have a lot of brothers uh, and his kids. We were all in Chicago for a vacation and we're doing like the museums and, you know, and we're going to go to a ball game at Wrigley and Good. do all the regular tourist stuff. Excellent. And we are at the shed aquarium mm -hmm. right there on down on the lakefront and we're all there and these a young couple comes up and goes oh my god you're jeff jenna oh. <laughs> and my sister looks at me and goes how much did you pay them <laughs> <laughs> and i just say yes i am i said can i ask you how you know me and they said well and, and at the time the bob and tom show had a tv show uh -huh. And they said, we're big Bob and Tom fans, and we saw you on Bob and Tom a couple of weeks ago. And I said, well, you've impressed my entire family. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> oh, that's – I'm so glad they were there to witness that. And then another time that where uh, the, the, it kind of worked out, this was long before I was married to my wife or I'd even met my wife. And I was in down south somewhere. And – we had left the club and gone to another club and we're hanging out a couple of comics and I, and I was standing at the bar and there are two or three TVs above the bar there. And I'm trying to chat up this one young lady and she doesn't seem very interested. And all of a sudden I go, Oh, Oh, excuse me. Just a second. I, I want to look at this because evening at the improv was on and the episode they were playing was an episode that I had just done. <laughs> I went and it was like Michelle Pfeiffer was the host and I was like oh yeah that's yeah. Uh, I guess I looked all right on there so all of a sudden she was very interested so. <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes things just work out in your favor sure <laughs> yeah 
uh, a few months ago, I or gosh, it's been a couple of years ago, I, I did a, a little promo for a local news station in the area uh, with another comic that we've had on our show, Kara Karachi. She and I did this promo together. And then I was in a, a, a bar doing a, um, a show, an open mic type show. And they had the TV still on. And all of a sudden, I'm watching the audience suddenly looking up at the TVs, looking back at me, looking up the TVs, looking back at me. And I, I'm like, it's really distracting. So I look at the TV, and sure enough, it's me. That's me <laughs> on the TV. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're like, hey, you're this, actually a person. He's legit because yeah. he's on the tube. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So along with uh, television, you did. Hey, I just comedy. want to remind you, oh, you sure. that uh, uh, we're about to go into overtime. So oh, yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind staying for a while, but it's going to cost you more. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> thank we'll, you. We'll double your pay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it is for overtime. Yeah, see, you're, you're looking for that clean comedy time <laughs> <Yeah>. money. <laughs> well, the meter is running. No, I'm just teasing with you. I have, <laughs> I'm, I have all night because I'm a very, uh, I got, I, my career's on fire. Yeah. And, uh, so. Well, that's where I wanted to go next uh, is um, since moving uh, back to where you are now, back at home in the Midwest, um, you've done cruises, you've done uh, corporate shows. Uh, and so um, and you and I did a club show together and you've got uh, gutties in Indianapolis or uh, Greenwood. Where are you focusing uh, your your time performance opportunities now? Um, you know, I just recently, uh, started a relationship with the people at the Mike Huckabee show in Nashville, and I am going to be doing their show, hopefully if things go well and I don't screw this up, <laughs> uh, two or three times next year. And I, you know, that, and that's going to be kind of my focus for, on-camera performance. Hmm. I talked with Keith Stubbs very briefly about a week ago about doing another dry bar next year as well. I mm -hmm. have a whole set that I'd like to do about relationships on there. And uh, so those are my two kind of big things for next year. Where I'm doing most of my performing is in on cruises and at 55 plus communities in the South because, Hey, those are my people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, those are the same. And, and it's amazing when you think about, you know, 30 years ago when, you know, when it was the late eighties and early nineties and I was headlining big clubs around the country. Those are the people that were in their mid thirties and coming out to nightclubs. Now those same people are in their mid-60s to mid-70s and living in 55-plus communities in the South, you know, in South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Texas. And they don't go to see entertainment. They bring entertainment to them. Yeah. So, And I can't tell you how many times I've been on a cruise or at a 55-plus community doing a show and had somebody go, oh, my gosh, we saw you at the Phoenix Improv, you know, years ago or we yeah. remember you from evening at the improv years ago. So it's like the same people who were fans back then, you know, yeah. and, uh, and it's, you know, uh, 
if it if it all ended tomorrow and I never worked again, I wouldn't be regretful. But I'm going to keep working as long as people keep making the mistake of answering the phone <laughs> when I call. <laughs> Well, the time has come on our little podcast to take a break, but we'll be right back. Be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. Yes, thank you. We so appreciate you letting us and our incredible guests share the good, the bad, and the funny. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please leave us a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Or you can now send us a voice message through Anchor, and we might just play it on an upcoming episode. To send us a voice message, go to anchor.fm slash cleancomedytime. Click the message button and record what you want to say. Thanks again, and we look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back, uh, Jeff. Thank you so very much for sharing about your journey through comedy and and uh, really got into a lot of details there. So I, I, I thank you for that. On the second half of the podcast, uh, we really like to dig into, uh, you know, what's going well right now and also uh, what some things are that you might be struggling with. So, Jeff, what is going well for you right now? i tell you what's going well right now is uh, my home life is outstanding. Uh, when I, I came home uh, on March 15th of 2020, not knowing when I would go back to work, if ever again. And I kind of tried to just say, well, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe this is how it ends, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I, I tell the story on stage now that uh, when I came home and spent March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, eight months at home without working, without going anywhere for eight months. It was the longest period in the 31 years I've known my wife that I've been home continuously by far, because before it might have been a month, you know, that I'd go yeah. a month without working sometimes uh, by choice, just like, oh, I'm going to take a little break and stay home. Uh, so. Uh, and I found out that I really liked being at home. <laughs> you know, nice. if you're going to pick something to be going well, uh, the relationships with your family, that's just an absolutely yeah. incredible thing to, to have going well. And I, you, you, you referenced it earlier. There's people that have found commercial success. There's people that have found financial success, but it's very difficult, uh, to weigh those things against, the the joy and and what you right. get out of great strong family relationships. So right. kudos to you, sir. Yeah, so that's going well. Uh, that that would and then I I you know I just cannot complain about work because I get I, I I'm you know I, I'm almost seventy years old and I'm turning down work. You know? Yeah, and it's that's not horrible. You know, I'm yeah, not, that's a that's I'm, a great feeling. I'm not taking all the work that's offered to me. And that's like, you know, I don't really have financial pressures at all. I mean, if I had more money, I could probably spend more money. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. 
<laughs> but I don't need anything. Yeah. You know, that's and, a, that's a good spot. And you, you said this word earlier, you said, you talked about contentment. You, you sound right. like you're very content. Yeah. And, and I, and, and I'd like to stress for your listeners that there's a difference between being content and being complacent <laughs> because I am not complacent. Mm. I still am very yeah. active in working and uh, yeah. doing all yeah. kinds of things, but I am happy with where I am. I, I've got a video on my website called Contentment Theory. You ought to check that out because, it, boy, it's almost like you could have uh, you could have put that whole video yeah. together. Yeah, because I think that's that's exactly word for word something that I <laughs> say in there. Yeah, about. There's a book. Uh, that I have given to several comics. Listen, we're talking about stuff that I produced. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Not, I'm, sorry. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. But there's a book that uh, you've it, given it, out. And it's called Happiness is a Serious Problem. <laughs> and it's it's by a, a guy who unfortunately now is known for his politics rather than his philosophy and theology. And his name is Dennis Prager. And uh, before Dennis Prager was kind of a political personality on the radio, I knew him as somebody who did kind of a very spiritual talk show. Uh, and I listened to him. I got to meet him a couple of times. And uh, he, he wrote a book a long time ago called Happiness is a Serious Problem. It's only about 130 pages. It's an easy read. But he talks about how our society has these misconceptions about what happiness is. And if your yeah. goal is to be happy a hundred percent of the time, you're going to be sadly disappointed most of your life. Yeah. You know, yeah. because happiness is a goal that you work together. And I have, one of the things I've tried to really teach my son is that if you don't learn to love the struggle, the everyday up and down life struggle. You have to learn to love that or else life will defeat you because that's what most days are, are a, a fight, you know, not, not, I, I don't want to like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm barely hanging in there. I'm fighting for my very life. <laughs> it's not like that kind of fight, but you know, it's, it's a struggle and it's, you know, it's those, you know, happiness is is an is an, a, a, an outcome. It's not a destination. You know, it's it's just. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not explaining it as well as he does in the book. The great philosopher and author uh, Bo Burnham uh, had a uh, uh, comedy special called "Make Happy," and uh, you know he gets into the intricacies of of happiness and all that. I try to be content. I try to be grateful for what I have been given and what I've gotten but at the same time i try not to be complacent and just go eh, this will do yeah yeah um you you obviously have not uh become stagnant you know you're still moving things are happening uh good things are going on it's 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 interesting to hear you talk about uh you know like mark ridley and um you know finding those relationships early on that uh with, with people that are willing to invest in what you're doing and that you can uh, contribute back to. And it, it sounds like you've uh, found that also with the folks over at dry bar and also with, uh, with Mike Huck Huckabee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of people that have 
had the privilege of performing with uh, Mike Huckabee, and I've I've watched him a couple times, and he gets genuine joy out of watching the comedians oh, I, perform. I think he really likes comedy. Yeah, 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 for sure. It, well, and he's a bass player, so that, <laughs> that, <laughs> you got to be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that so that's uh that's great to hear that uh, your family relationships are are going well. And and I know you talked about how contentment plays such a big role. Uh, what else would you attribute that to? Well, you know. Uh... My life changed directions about a little over 30 years ago, uh, almost 32 years ago now. And I stumbled into my first AA meeting mm. and my life was a wreck. I mean, it was just, I was making a lot of money, but I had nothing because I was spending everything I had partying yeah. and, you know, uh, that, that's what I talked when I talked earlier about freedom versus responsibility, yeah. you know, uh, but I attribute a lot of my, what I have now and, and what my life is like now to the program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, a friend of mine, um, calls it the miracle, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, what do you, what do you do on Sunday night? I'm going down to get a little bit of the miracle. Yeah. You know? Well, c- congratulations on that. You said that was 32 years ago? Yeah, and next, early next year, it'll be 32 years. All right. Yeah. So well, c- congratulations. And I, and I'm, still, I'm still active in recovery groups. Uh, I haven't uh, quit Step 12 yet, you know. I'm still doing yeah. a little, yeah. little step work. So, uh, and I, I get inspired when I hear newcomers that, share their stories and remind me of how miserable my life was. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's easy to, to lose perspective and, and lose touch with that. I, I know, uh, you know, I, I myself, I'm also sober. I'm, I'm a little over five years sober now. Nice. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but I remember early on in in my journeys towards sobriety and recovery, um, I met with a good friend of mine, Luke Morgan. He's now a pastor up in Traverse City, Michigan. And uh, we were meeting and, uh, you know, I was just bearing it all. You know, we were talking through stuff and, and uh, you know, he looked at me and he goes, Aaron, I pray that you never lose your brokenness. And man, like that's such an important and powerful thing uh, to mm-hmm. hear because because there's something that we gain when we get to that point of brokenness. And it sounds like you've both gained that uh, 32 years ago and maintained it. So, uh, again, I, I commend you for that. Oh, well, no, thanks. Good stuff. Sobriety. I'm loving it. Uh, what's something that you are struggling with right now, though? Uh, you know, uh, I wake up every morning and I'm grateful that I wake up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's as you get older, I think your mortality comes more into focus. And you, I think, spend more time thinking about, you know, I, uh, I'm i not going to be here forever. And uh I got to get done what I want to get done because uh, I, I often say this, God promised us, us 
many, many things. But one of those things is not tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, I've been given many gifts, but, you know, my tomorrows could end tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so, um, and no matter how hard I work out, no matter how much I exercise, every day I seem to be a little bit older. That is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so, um, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to think, you know, what isn't going well. It just, and I don't mean to dodge your question. I really don't, Aaron. But yeah. it just, uh, I, you know. Well, I, I, it, I can tell you, like, when I, when I hear you tell your story, uh, when I hear you talk through the different uh, uh, phases that you went through and the and the different times in in your life, you know it's clear that you 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 can look back on relationships, a body of work, um, things that you've accomplished, and and there is uh, achievement there. You you've done a lot. Um, I I'm certain that you're not done. I mean you've yeah. got you've got lots of things left to do. Um, I tell you but, one thing, uh, I could. I, I really uh, wish I could do better. Mm. And I, I kind of made a joke about it early, early, early in the podcast. But, man, I would like to write a book. And I got a, several ideas for writing the books. And I, I just am not good at that kind of long-form, long-focus work. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, and, and, and the problem is, too, is I read a lot of books and I, I, I go, this this book's 40 pages long. He said the same thing eight times in different ways to yeah. fill up 140 pages. <laughs> it's, and, it's like watching a 45-minute set of somebody who should be doing a tight 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Hey, have you seen that? Hang on now. But it's just, I can't, uh, I, like, I, I had this idea for a book. And here's the idea. I do a mm-hmm. bit in my act about being an older dad. I was in my late forties when my son was born. And, uh, so, and I have this idea, like it, the name of the book, and I've got 40 pages of it written and it's called old dad, young dad. And it's things that being an older dad, I knew intuitively that I wish I could teach younger dads. Hmm. And uh, like one of those things is never do anything for a kid. You can teach him to do for himself. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I and yeah. I see these younger parents. Oh, Billy, here, let me get this. Oh, Billy, let me do that here. You know, teach a hey. kid to fish. Right. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Like, you know, hey, I got a hit, mom. OK, get in the car. I'll drive you to first. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's just like, no, no, you know. Uh, yeah. and so my son does his own laundry and it takes a strong parent sometimes to walk <laughs> into a kid's room and see just, it stinks and there's piles of laundry and you go, Nope, I ain't doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to do it. You're going to get this cleaned up, you know? So, yeah. uh, but, but, but I wish, I wish I could, but I've written 40 pages and I've said everything I want to say. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I like to do when when I have something that I can't achieve yeah. on my own, uh, like uh, let's say a um, number one ranked Fijian podcast, uh, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, right. I like to find somebody else that has skill sets that that complement mine, 
and partner with them yeah. and work together. So I, I, I think, and this is usually not the way this part of the conversation goes, but I, man, I want to encourage you. I think you got to find a young dad and yeah, partner up with here's them. Here's the problem is many years ago, I tried writing scripts with partners and <laughs> yeah. no, it did not work. Yeah, that's, and, that's, that's fair. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, yeah. I managed to knock out, you know, I, I have two unsold movies and two unsold TV pilots that I wrote. And uh, in fact, Brian was, uh, when, when we were working together in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago, my friend Tim Bador came out and sat with us at lunch one day. And he and I were like talking about the pilot that he and I wrote together called The Dead Pilots. And uh, I don't know if you remember that conversation. Or not, but, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that that pilot's still upstairs in the file cabinet, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but uh, and then right. I wish I wish I could credit this joke, but I can't remember whose joke it is, but I'll say it anyway. But it's not mine. Uh, yeah. I'm a comedy writer and I've sold two things, my house and my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about right. Barry Weisenberg. That's whose joke that is. Oh, yeah. Barry, and yeah. salute to Barry in Orange County, California. Barry Weisenberg. That's his joke. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, but, um, you know, that's something I wish I could do better. You know, um, I, I have tried during the COVID for the third time in my life, I have made a serious effort to try to learn how to play the piano. Hmm. And How's I, that going? I am hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> and the sad part is both my wife and my son are very talented musicians, <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting here in my living room staring at a Steinway baby grand that was made in 1880 that I have in my family room. That is a beautiful, magnificent instrument. Yeah, and I sit down at it, and you know, knock out Mary had a little lamb after <laughs> years of lessons, <laughs> yeah. and you know, man, my son and my wife both play it absolutely beautifully. So, that's do you, do you enjoy playing? Uh, I don't. I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's, it's, it's like be in touch sure. with that. It's like a chore. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think we've found the issue, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I, I guess at some level I enjoy it, but to me, it's like, it's work and it's, yeah. you know, I and I can sit and practice for about 15 minutes outside. It's the same problem I have with writing a book. <laughs> yeah. know, it should be over by now, but it's not. Yeah. It's so, well, that's all I got. You know, my, my son has this theory that in every conversation, every seven or eight minutes, there's a really uncomfortable pause for a few seconds. We just had it right there. Oh. Just, a, just a few seconds ago. Did you hear it? The uncomfortable pause? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to tell me that he'd seen my act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's right there. Well, Jeff, uh, it's been an absolute joy talking with you. Uh, the big question that I have for you now is if somebody – wanted to find Jeff Jenna. There's a lot of ways because you are all over the internet, but what's your favorite way for people to find you and, uh, and then hire you? People can email me. My email address is 
really easy to remember. All righty. It's Jeff at mm-hmm. JeffreyJenna.com. So easy. You can just drop me an email there if people want to hire me. Uh, if people just want to annoy me, uh, <laughs> my email is Brian. At- <laughs> True story. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, also, if people want to like see some of my comedy, like I said before, they can either just go on Facebook or on YouTube, and they can uh, search Jeffrey Jenna Dry Bar Comedy, and you can watch my whole special for free. Uh, there are a couple annoying ads in there. That's how I get paid. Um, and if you really want to know about me, I do have a fan group on Facebook, and it's really interestingly named it's called jeffrey jenna comedy fans and if they go and just ask to be put in the group i will put them in uh jeffrey jenna comedy fans on facebook and we are man i I just have such a following i think i have about 240 members oh wow i know any any of them in fiji and no no (laughs) but and i know taylor swift has billions of followers on her instagram but Mm -hmm. my 240 are dedicated yeah, <laughs> and they care, and and, and they I can know tell you by the spam ads they put them. in my Facebook thing all the time. Yeah, when I'm doing a date, I will put it in the uh, in the fans page, and uh, they don't get notified that I'm going to be at Gutties in Indianapolis, December third and fourth. Well, Jeff, it's as I said, it's been a delight uh, talking with you tonight, um, and uh, can't wait for everybody else to to hear this. Um, uh, and it was a, a absolute wonderful experience uh, working with you uh, in Minneapolis recently. Yeah, and I had I a will... great time that week too, man. I don't, yeah. uh, you know, don't uh, <laughs> don't put yourself down. It was a lot of fun working with you. We had a, we had a good time, you know. I I I can't remember the last time I enjoyed going to see the Mary Tyler Moore statue so much. <laughs> right. Uh, I I. Uh... Got that. I got a got a picture of us uh, looking at the Mary Tyler Moore statue, and then we had a couple of juicy Lucy's. Yeah, we did. And, um, we did. And those we are burgers, a... by the way. <laughs> Delicious uh, cheese-filled burgers. Yes, so good. Anyway, hey guys, thank you for having me on the podcast, Aaron. Pleasure talking to you and meeting you virtually, Brian. I hope to see you again uh, in the flesh soon. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time Podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from forced language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. Thank you.